Hello, friends, and welcome to the Skewer Podcast. The Skewer is a live monthly satirical news review, the first Wednesday of every month at Cafe Mustache, with the best writers and uh, comics in Chicago, given hilarious op-eds and debates. The Skewer Podcast is usually the recorded uh, version thereof. Uh, however, this uh, month... We had a catastrophic technical failure, didn't record anything, and what we did record was unusable. Uh, Luckily, one of our writers, Ian Rigg, miraculously was recording, and we have something for you. It's not quite on the level that uh, you're used to, if you've been listening, but it's listenable, and uh, thank thank Ian for that. Oh my god, it's a miracle. Uh, Anyway, I hope you enjoy it. This was recorded on June 1st, 2016 at Cafe Mustache. Uh, and we're starting off with our first reader, Alana Gordon. Enjoy. Uh, I'm Alana, and so many things. Uh, something you should know about me is that I really love Nancy Drew. Uh, in fact, in my childhood bedroom at my parents' house in Connecticut, I have an entire shelf that's just devoted to Nancy Drew novels, hardcover. Uh, yeah, they were my mom's when she was my uh, like little, and she passed them down to me. Um, and incidentally, if you're ever looking for a gift for a child with no friends, uh, a 1930s serialized detective novel is a really safe bet. Uh, as a kid, I found Nancy Drew to be completely fascinating. Like, she graduated high school before she was 16, uh, and then became this amateur sleuth and like solved these really important cases like the secret of the old clock, or the uh, clue of the broken locket, or my personal favorite, the mystery of the moss-covered mansion. Uh, and if you're wondering if that particular novel had gypsies in an airplane crash, it totally did. <laughs> uh, but the character of Nancy Drew was created by Edward Straitmeyer, who incidentally is also the creator of the Hardy Boys. Uh, he noticed that the Hardy Boy books had these like very strong female readership, and he wanted to create a similar thing for young women, which I think is great. Uh, so he created the Nancy Drew books, and they went on to be this like cultural phenomenon, selling over 80 million copies of the series worldwide in 74 countries. It's like this whole big thing. Um, which brings us to the actual news story. This past month, CBS chose not to pick up a pilot called Drew, uh, which was a modern-day take on the story that reimagines Nancy Drew as a character in her 30s, and she's like this NYPD detective. Now, according to the report from Deadline, the reason the network decided to pass on the pilot was that it skewed too female, <laughs> which is media speak for not enough leaners. Mm-hmm. Uh, so needless to say, there was like immediate backlash. Articles were written and shared on Facebook, and then think pieces were written in response to those articles. Uh, the hashtag to female trended on Twitter. It was this whole big thing. Uh, and if the news story was a Nancy Drew novel, it would be called Nancy Drew and the Mystery of Why CBS Sucks So Much at Creating Quality Programming. <laughs> it's a working title. <laughs> a few days after all of this went down, uh, the CBS president, Glenn Geller, responded to the reports by saying, Well, that's not true. <laughs> Which is exactly what you'd say if you were the head of a network who was too rich and too lazy to create like a halfway decent lie. <laughs> now, I'm not naive enough to think that network television exists for any other reason than to bring in revenue from advertising dollars and entertain us when our ex-boyfriend's mother changes the password to her HBO Go account. <laughs> and there are many legitimate reasons why networks choose to pass on pilots. 
pilot could be racist or sexist or bad or loosely based on a Geico commercial about cavemen. <laughs> not that this has caused networks to not print like greenlit pilots before. The point is, pilots get passed on a greenlit for incredibly weird reasons. All this to say that CBS is fully within their rights to pass on this pilot, but not for the reasons that they're citing. Saying a show skews too female implies that their female viewers are not as worthy of having content devoted to their interests as men are. You know, essentially in the eyes of the network, women are second-class citizens. And CBS is very dedicated to creating substandard programming for men, <laughs> as evidenced by some of the pilots they picked up this year. Uh, for example, a remake of MacGyver, where a secret agent gets out of sticky situations using stuff he finds in his pockets. <laughs> or a remake of Training Day, where two LAPD cops chase bad guys while fighting about morality. <laughs> or The Great Indoors, where Joel McHale becomes a boss to a group of millennials, everybody vapes. <laughs> Man with a plan, Matt LeBlanc is forced to become a stay-at-home dad, which is funny because men aren't supposed to do that, you guys. <laughs> or Kevin Can Wait, in which Kevin James quits his job as a cop and annoys his families by spending time with them at home. Uh, and by the way, CBS was so confident that this last show would be a hit that they didn't even need to see the pilot. They ordered that show straight to series. <laughs> so if you were keeping track, that's one show about a secret agent, Two shows uh, having to do with police, two shows that are just straight up ripoffs of previously created TV shows and or movies, and zero shows starring anyone with a vagina. <laughs> Seems CBS is laboring under the delusion that men wouldn't be interested in watching a hot female detective solve crimes, just like they're laboring under the delusion that Kevin James could successfully fuck a 10. <laughs> <laughs> And just in case I did not make it clear how hot the actress playing Nancy Drew is, let me clear that up right now. She is very hot. Uh, I'm talking former NFL cheerleader, beauty pageant winner, model, and actress. The Forfecta. <laughs> this woman has won awards for her hotness. She ranked on both Maxim's Hot 100 and Ellen's Hot List. Her hotness supersedes sexuality. She also happens to be like a very good actress, but that's completely immaterial to this argument. <laughs> the idea that men wouldn't be interested in watching a show just because the lead character is female is not only insulting to women, it's insulting to men. Men are perfectly capable of watching and enjoying shows about women. It's why lesbian porn is so popular. <laughs> not only that, CBS already knows that their male viewers will watch and enjoy shows about women. In 2015, CBS debuted Supergirl, a show about a young female superhero, and the viewing audience for that show was almost perfectly split. 48% female, 52% men. And, okay, maybe if Drew was bad, I could excuse all the bullshit, but by all accounts, the show tested really well with audiences. Even CBS thinks it's a good show, as evidenced by the fact that they're shopping it around to other outlets. According to CBS, Drew is like, an H is like HPV. You don't really want it for yourself, but you're like kind of okay giving it to other people. <laughs> when it comes down to it, the problem isn't so much that CBS passed on a show with a female lead. It's that they passed on a show with a diverse female lead while still picking up six other shows with white male leads. And when people got mad, CBS acted like they were totally within their rights to do this because they picked up Doubt, which is a show featuring a transgender series regular, played by a transgender actor, which is great. It's great that they're doing that. 
But saying that you're a diverse network because you can point to one show with a minority character is like saying you're Jewish because one time at a barbecue you made a Hebrew national hot dog. <laughs> it's not true, and also everybody hates you. <laughs> so, to sum up, CBS passed on a perfectly good pilot for a perfectly terrible reason, and will probably never be able to solve the mystery of why they suck so much. But if anyone ever asks you what CBS stands for, just tell them it's creating bad sitcoms. <laughs> Thank you guys so much. The person that I'll have on the stage is none other than Tom Harrison. He is the co-creator, co-founder of The Skewer, as well as You Don't Understand, a podcast which you can find on iTunes and SoundCloud. He has written for uh, many different shows, including Right Club, uh, which we'll hear from a little later. Um, but I'm really excited to introduce uh, Tom Harrison. Tom Harrison, everybody. Hello. The title of this piece is. Hold on. The title of this piece is How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love Tribalism. <laughs> or. Humanity is a fractious, seething bed of chaos that will tear its own flesh from its syphilitic bones until it dies with a hideous yelp of animalistic blood rage. So, you know, pick the one that hooked you. <laughs> Exhibit A. I want you to get a good look at where I'm starting from. A faux-intellectual liberal white boy doofus. Literally soaked through with privilege. Seriously, ring me out and I will drip privilege on the goddamn floor. At which point the poor will be way more likely to get hired in office jobs. <laughs> My biggest problem in high school was Comedy Central's wildly inconsistent scheduling of Kids in the Hall reruns. <laughs> Pretty much any stereotype you think might apply to me does. Yes, I have read Infinite Jest. <laughs> yes, I am unable. Shut up. Yeah, I am unable to go more than a few minutes without telling you that I've read Infinite Chest. See, I undercut myself in. I'm like a bit out. <laughs> now, as a white boy, I've done my duty and tried my best to learn about social justice and how to be an ally. I see bigotry and hatred. Ugh. I, I tut tut. <laughs> Sometimes I even tisk tisk. I talk with the best. <laughs> and as a naive white boy, it's my fate to assume that when I see the hateful us versus them mentality that so, that so many mean, angry people depend on, I assume it, just, it can't be an inherent human truth, but some sort of ill-thought reaction to fear and insecurity. I know that with honest, critical thinking and empathy, we can heal even the deepest cracks in our human community. I believe that. I look like this. I started a show where I can yell my opinions at people. <laughs> I, am, I am wearing a Great Gatsby t-shirt. You know me. See the image. Hold it in your mind. Good. <laughs> Exhibit B. This May, Twitter personality Johnny's son made a poll that read, Serious Question, followed by these three emojis. Let the record show that it is a monkey covering his eyes, another monkey covering its ears, and a monkey covering its mouth. The options were, this is one monkey making three faces, or this is three monkeys 
Let's just take the temperature of the room. Uh, just uh, make some noise. You think it's three monkeys? Interesting. Interesting. Good to know. Good to know. Um, you know what I'm going to say next? Clap. You think it's one monkey making three faces? Wow. Okay. Okay. Cool. Cool. Interesting. Wow. So, um, team one monkey. How does it feel to be just so thoroughly? Deeply wrong on just, just every level. I know this doesn't sound like news, right? This is a Twitter poll. Whole month of news, and I picked that? What, why is it why I do that? That's not newsworthy, especially when one of the answers is so clearly correct. <laughs> to the point that the whole endeavor becomes ludicrous, I mean, why even ask? The reason that this is news is that this poll split, like in this room, almost exactly evenly. It was picked up by BuzzFeed, The Daily Dot, and if you want an actual news source, even NPR. <laughs> Over 200,000 200, votes ended up being cast, and for nearly the entire run of the poll, it was exactly 50-50. Is it news? I don't know! But it consumed my day like no other story. <laughs> Dear God, I proselytized for Team Three Monkeys. To anyone who would listen, and far, far more frequently, to those who would not. <laughs> I couldn't, I couldn't take it. My girlfriend weeps even now at the slavering monster I've become. I'd storm into the house every day with new reasons it had to be three monkeys. <laughs> I cannot fathom how anyone, anyone, could be on Team One Monkey. I asked my parents about this, fully ready to be like, so this is what ends the family. And they both shit on me. Luckily, they aren't deranged, so I didn't have to renounce my family name. And if you're thinking like, oh, holy fuck, this is actually scary, he's lost his mind. No! No! I didn't lose it! I didn't lose my mind! It was taken from me by the infidels on Team One Monkey! <laughs> I thought tribalism was a construct that we could move past. I thought it was a disingenuous intellectual shortcut that bought unearned confidence with the suffering of others. Oh, but now, huh, now, team, team One Monkey is eternally on blast, irredeemable. I get it now. I get the Crusades. I get Jihad. Some people <laughs> just can't be fixed. <laughs> and you know what the worst part is? One monkey making three faces won the poll. 53% of the vote. Over 112,000 people. Just trash fires all. It's unfathomable. Unfathomable. This is clearly three monkeys making the classic three wise monkeys image of see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil. Uh, it's a classic triptych. That's trip. Triptych, not one monkey tick, which has been a cultural icon in the East and West since at least the 17th century. It's an icon probably most recognizable for prominently featuring three fucking monkeys sitting next to each other. Mahatma Gandhi's one exception to his lifestyle of non-possession was a brass statue of these three wise monkeys. Note that I did not say his three exceptions to his lifestyle of possession. He did not have three statues of one monkey. I was at a friend's party when 
I was in the full swing of my berserker rage about this, and yes, I am implying that this is not my full swing. <laughs> and I saw a statue on my friend's shelf of the three separate goddamn wise monkeys, and I don't think you understand the willpower it took for me to not just jump up and go, See? <laughs> oh, and did you know? Fun fact, the three wise monkeys have three separate names. Yeah, they're Mizaru, Kikazaru, and Iwazaru, in order. <laughs> Just three monkey bros having a great time, simultaneously resisting the absorption and distribution of evil. Cool, great, nice boys. <laughs> and what do you suppose the final names for the three monkey emojis in question are? These, if you forgot. Would you fucking believe that they are Mizaru, Kikazaru, and Iwazaru? You better, because they are. <laughs> and here's another thing. Those, those are the only monkey emojis that are available to use. It's not even as though you can choose to have your monkeys to anything else. It's literally only there so that you can make the iconic three wise monkeys sitting side by side. QED is undeniable. Don't forgive Team One Monkey. Not now, not ever. <laughs> And just to prove how sure I am, if there's any Team One Monkey person out there who wants to give me a reason why it's One Monkey, I would rebut it, and I'm confident that I would do it, because I've thought about this more than you, Carl. What is your reason for it being One Monkey? I didn't say come up, but I guess that's how it is. I don't know, I thought that was implied when we discussed this earlier. But You're not a plant, Carl. What? <laughs> Like to see a monolithic, hateful other, a them 
that no amount of reasoning will convert a hideous mass of trash people who hiss at reason and love chaos. <laughs> tribalism, tribalism is now a resounding hell yes if it means I get to be on a different tribe than Team One Monkey. I used to think that dismissing people out of hand because of some petty signifiers was small-minded and cruel. But now I see that we live in a demi-plane of madness where the majority of people are insane enough to be on Team One Monkey. Clearly, civilization is a rickety shantytown swaying on a crumbling foundation that bends closer to ruin every day. And if you doubt me, just take a look at the news. There are people out there who wanted the presidency to go to Ted Cruz, an oily soup gulper with a head shaped like a troll's fist. <laughs> Lawmakers in Oklahoma voted this May to criminalize abortion despite a fairly famous Supreme Court ruling that prohibits that kind of thing. <laughs> and there are actual millions of people, people you know, who would install Donald Trump as our God Emperor with smiles on their faces. The time for empathy is over. We can no longer afford to suffer fools. Pick your tribe now and fight those who would destroy us, and pick the fibers of our hearts from their teeth with slivers of our shattered bones. We cannot afford to let them gain another inch. And if it's too late to stop the incipient apocalypse and society devolves into growing bands of road maniacs, each with gimmicky uniforms cobbled together from the detritus of the fallen world that reflect the fun theme of each murder game. <laughs> like one will be all dressed up like eagles, maybe, and another will be look like devils. <laughs> At least you can use these lessons to help you find the murder gang that's right for you. <laughs> maybe you'll be the one that drives the cars with a bunch of spikes and shit on it. Maybe, maybe you'll be the one that wears weaponized football gear. It's the age of tribalism, folks. You can either convulsive terror and deny it, or you can join a fun murder gang that fits your quirky personality. You don't want to be slow and get stuck with the one that just wears camo or something. <laughs> on the other hand, it's possible that I may have just overreacted to a Twitter poll, but I doubt it. Team Three Monkeys for life. He's performing next July 10th at the Living Room at Stage 773. Please help me welcome Mike Hafferty. Last Monday, Bruce Rauner leered at a stack of budget proposals and laws on his desk approved by the Democratic-run House. Why can't they all be about me? Why can't they all be about making the state pie pumpkin pie? Those were the good old days of being governor, Bruce Romney thought to himself. <laughs> Has it really been a year since proclaiming a new state pie as pumpkin pie? <laughs> Back then, helping Illinois out of a budget black hole felt so possible. <laughs> he picks a proposal off his desk and scans it. He doesn't get far before he, before the bad words start popping out at him. Union protections, state pensions, social services, Michael Madigan. Each phrase boiling his blood until his eyes are hot embers. This was once his land, he says. It will be his again. He hears his phone vibrate. He knows who it is. He knows it's Scott Walker wanting to play golf. But there's no time for that. Bruce has to start planning. He has to start building, building his ideal state. Bruceville, he asks himself. No. This 
is Round Town. <laughs> Welcome to beautiful Round Town, where the bills laid out on his desk all say, You're doing great, Bruce. You don't need anyone but yourself. Where budget proposals on his desk spring to life and make tantric gubernatorial love to the governor's pen. As NPR plays, the boys are back in town. <laughs> Round Town is where all his childhood pets come back to life and vote Republican. They play on golf courses that used to be Springfield, where the caddies are replaced with everyone who has ever helped him. Roundtown golf is for adults who like to hurt other people by excluding them, just like regular golf. Roundtown <laughs> <laughs> yells exclusion, yells it out loud from the roof of a pro shop that used to be a college. <laughs> Maybe you don't remember, Bruce. But these are the same campuses that have turned into ghost campuses. Where ghosts learn how to be better invisible. <laughs> where they earn credits to not be seen. Where the ghost teachers get paid every 100 years. Only to have their tenure revoked at the stroke of midnight. Of course, Bruce wouldn't remember this. Even though once a week, him and his venture capitalist buddies drive to an abandoned university and uh, drive to abandoned universities and colleges, breaking campus windows with two hundred dollar bottles of pumpkin wine. <laughs> <laughs> On the town's million dollar golf courses, gophers are persecuted for their curiosity and brought through state man mandated rehabilitation. What they don't tell you, though, is that Bruce Rounder captures the gophers and transmogrifies them into precious metals and gold. <laughs> if Bruce Rauner didn't want trouble around town, Bruce Rauner shouldn't have pissed off Ron Emanuel. Ron doesn't like round town. Ron wants police and fire pensions. Friday, round town beaters it down, but Ron won't drown. Ron leaves downtown to knuckle down on round town's council at the crown, but round town can't go down. <laughs> Monday, Round votes down the Roundtown's veto bomb by using Roundtown's own pawn clowns. Roundtown tells Round to sip the pumpkin Kool-Aid, man, but Round wants to take over Roundtown. Round wants to turn this Roundtown into a Roundtown. Roundtown, Roundtown. Either way, we're fucked in the end. Bruce Round's wife isn't happy. After Bruce comes in from a hard night of coping with golf and pumpkin gin and tonics. Diana Rauner is sitting at the kitchen table, sipping a glass of sweet pumpkin moscato. Have you heard the news? Bruce averts his eyes. My non-for-profit, an ounce of prevention? You've heard of it? They're added to a lawsuit against you. You broke our contracts. The state said it would fund us but we haven't had a budget in over a year. We're not able to help people, Bruce. You remember people? <laughs> they fear the devil and drive Hondas? <laughs> Bruce, I know you were dealt a shitty hand when you were elected governor, but you know what? You're a real asshole, Bruce. You're a ball of slime that learned how to shake hands. Your voice is the voice of every angry dad at a t-ball game. <laughs> you look like Mr. Burns' shitty nephew. It's fitting, 
because you look like a cartoon of a high-class golf course owner who spends entire days devising ingenious plans to chase gophers. But have you ever caught one? You built a $16 million YMCA in Little Village, but the village has spoken. All the village people have spoken. You are not the man. That's it. I'm over-insulting you. I hope you choke, Bruce. I hope all your haircuts are terrible. <laughs> I hope your government collapses on you and you almost smother. And I hope every pumpkin pie you eat makes you shit blood. <laughs> While you get to say something, Bruce stays still. She pours the rest of the bottle of pumpkin moscato into her glass. The pumpkin chunks creating small splashes. <laughs> That's all I got. You have it all now. Are you happy? Bruce Rounder wakes up. Damn, he mutters. He always wakes back up. <laughs> Outside, another thunderstorm. No golf with Walker today. He wants to be the great reformer of Illinois. But he's not. He's just... former. He leans back in his chair and prays, please, please let this chair break so I can fall. Please let me fall. He closes his eyes, but there's only one sign he can see. Round time. Because this, this, is Round Town. And Round Town is a town that is also the state of Illinois. <laughs> Thank you. But it's my pleasure to welcome uh, Ian Belknap to the stage. Tonight, about shit. <laughs> Not figurative shit or metaphorical shit. I'm talking about shit shit. I'm referring to the dignity and sanctity of settling into that porcelain perch and pinching out a greasy coil of yesterday's rib tips. Yes. Talking about white knuckling the handicap rails along the walls of that stall, grunting while you expel that turd with the force of a potato gun. Or I'm talking about just sitting there and letting gravity do the work as you squat and make creamy soft serve in a shade of salted caramel. Or I'm talking about the salad shits that make you pledge to chew your food more thoroughly. Because there is a full fucking leaf of arugula twirling in the bowl. Little bleached by stomach acid, maybe, but otherwise untouched. Or the shits that make you wonder when you last ate corn. Or peanuts. Or black beans. Or the shits that sound like you're dropping a bunch of batteries into the water from a great height. <laughs> Taking a dump is like beating off 
or inserting a tampon. It is a behind-closed-doors activity. It is the kind of activity that, if you are doing it, like most people, I will leave you in peace. Because, like most people, I am clear on the fact that it is none of my fucking business. In fact, it would really bum me out to watch you. Or beat off, or put in a tampon. But you know the only way I know for sure that that's what you were doing? If I walked in on you. You ever walked in on somebody taking a dump? Everybody's mortified. <laughs> if it's a stranger, you feel like you violated their foul-smelling sanctum, and there's no number of apologies that's adequate. And it's not possible to back out of their basket. And if it's a friend of yours, it's going to be a while before you guys can meet each other's gaze. Because <laughs> you've unwittingly attained an unwelcome and stinky form of intimacy. <laughs> if I walk in on you while you're shitting, or beating off, or putting in a temple, whose behavior should I modify? Yours? <laughs> of course not. You're doing what you got to do. I should take responsibility in future for not barging in. I should knock on the goddamn door and wait a reasonable interval and listen with fucking care to see if anybody's in there. Then I should tentatively try the doorknob. And if it is locked, I should step back and wait. When does my taking a shit become your business? If, for example, I perch on the rim of the fountain in the food court at the mall to take one. Or if I squat above your keyboard at work. <laughs> or if I squeeze one off in the seat next to you on the L, which happened to a friend of mine. It's all she talks about. <laughs> Can we agree that this is so? So I would like to direct the balance of my remarks at North Carolina Governor Pat McCrory governors of the dozen or so other states that have slipstreamed in behind his so-called leadership on the non-issue of transgender people using the goddamn bathroom. So what I'm saying is this, if I was a resident of North Carolina, which thankfully I am not, since I have an ongoing interest in participating in this shared experiment we call civilization, I believe the only time Governor McCrory should have any interest or anything to say about where I deposit my fecal matter is if my balls were dangling in front of his face and a brown curly tail was quivering before his nose, ready to drop like the devil's own candy cane. <laughs> or if I poop in my hand and lob it through the open window. <laughs> or if I poop into a padded envelope and mail it to him. <laughs> That's when he can propose legislation. That's when it has become an issue into which he has every right to intervene. He is obligated, in fact, to take measures. But on any pooping that falls short of these extremes, he need not even have a fucking opinion, much less sign anything in the fucking law. You've all been in a public bathroom? You've all seen train spotting? It's the most sickening place on earth. A place from which 
you, you wish to depart with all speed. <laughs> a place that, if you did not have pressing need, you would never voluntarily enter. <laughs> Here's what I cannot understand about the potty police. I will go to heroic lengths to avoid making eye contact with anybody in a public bathroom. But you all seem prepared to inspect the contents of every pair of underpants that come to the door. Is that where you're at? Are you prepared to perch on a stool with a clipboard and a pair of latex gloves to conduct genital inspections? Because if so, then you are the source of a problem that did not exist prior to your trouser sleuthing. And having grown up and done time in the goddamn gulag of a boy's locker room, I can honestly say that I would have preferred to change my fucking clothes with literally any other population than those savage assholes. <laughs> If I could time travel back to high school and swap out the titty-twister, towel-snapping dickheads I was stuck with for a class of trans kids who were attuned and sensitive enough to respect my modesty and privacy and who could read the fucking signals enough to know what goddamn boundaries are, maybe then I wouldn't be quite such a murderous wad of depressed and traumatized misery. <laughs> Maybe if I'd been granted a little space in a decent interval while I was just trying to soap off my pudgy, pale body before I had to hustle off to algebra, I wouldn't have become the seething cauldron of barely contained rage you see before you tonight. Maybe if I'd been brutalized by a bunch of bullying, heteronormative shitbags, I wouldn't be so fucking bristly and defensive and cautious to this day. And this is a white goddamn male talking, the most privileged class of human being ever to walk the planet. So imagine, if you can, Governor McCrory, what a fucking locker room might be for a person who feels conflicted within themselves, a person who has been, at a minimum, marginalized, and perhaps has been persecuted for how different they are. Like, persecuted, persecuted, not persecuted like Christians seem so fond of claiming they are. Imagine if you were capable, Governor, what it would be like to enter a vulnerable place when you already feel sure there is nowhere you belong. Imagine you have been diminished and ground down by narrow-minded people, perhaps even menaced and beaten, and that you have never fit into the neat and false binary of gender. Imagine after indignities and injustices large and small have been heaped upon you by individuals of every description. Then, Governor, I'd like you to imagine that the full authority of the state has stepped in to reassure you that you are freakish and unworthy. <laughs> that whatever your reservations, whatever your fears and anxieties, whatever your misgivings, you must defy your instincts and ignore your conception of yourself and understanding of who you are to adhere to the caprice of biology that has consigned you to a body that is foreign to you. If I were to hazard a guess, Governor, I would say that if you, after you have found courage to live as your truest self, and then had the government tell you that this courage is meaningless, and that breeder people are more valid and important than you can ever hope to be, and that they will be permitted, literally, to piss all over your progress. I reckon, Governor, 
that you would be made to feel small and unsafe, grubby and gross and guilty. And I bet, Governor, that you could not escape the conclusion that the power of the state had been wielded at you with the unstated intention of belittling you, of leeching you of your humanity and dignity, of criminalizing your already tortured relationship to your own body. That you feel betrayed, Governor, and sad. And finally, Governor, I bet that you'd be prepared to take your skills in economic power, your creativity and knowledge, and flee from a state that is backward and intolerant enough to shun you. I feel sure you turn your back on a place that tells you where you can and cannot shit. And you know what, Governor? You'd be right. And history would be on your side. Thank you. We have two uh, of our fine folks. The first one up to the stage is Erica Price. Uh, she performs comedy all across Chicago. Uh, she was the first ever skewer reader. Uh, yeah. so, big time. So, please welcome Eric Price to the stage.
Well, I might have been ousted from Hollywood and most online kick communities, but I'm still a producer and I'm gonna pitch a goddamn hit. Duck Hunt. Now, I got my notes here so as I can do this just like I practiced in the bathroom mirror of that combination Pizza Hut and Taco Bell. <laughs> Duck Hunt is gonna be a bonafide hit. It's gonna star Idris Elba and Margot Robbie. <laughs> the dog from Duck Hunt is gonna be played by Danny DeVito. <laughs> adaptations of boy-themed video games has been paid by Angry Boys. You know, the game on your iPhone you'd incapacitate your kid with so you could get back out in the dating scene. If the flyaway success of that crap is any indication, there's a real market for boy-related warfare movies. Now, if there's two things audiences seem to love, it's a story based on a familiar property and an origin story. Angry Boys asks, why are the boys so angry? The Star Wars prequels ask, how can I ruin my own creation so that I can understand how God feels? <laughs> Maleficent asks, asks, Roy, why are you standing in Brad and I's bedroom? You realize Maleficent was just a movie, right? And why do you have 20 Blu-ray copies of Maleficent and a grappling hook? Our movie asks, why was there a duck hunt? Now you always knew that the dog and duck hunt was a little shit. What kind of crazy animal chuckles at a human with a loaded rifle? Well, maybe Dick Cheney's friend. Or me, avoiding authorities at last year's Easter egg So, Idris Elba and Margot Robbie play CJ and Sam, attractive, well-adjusted, older gamers who don't scream about feminism on the internet because, you know, we're not going for realism here. They decide to adopt a dog, mainly so they can brag to everyone how he's arrested. And they're not bad dog owners by any means, but they don't really pamper their pooch. They just sort of do the bare minimum and pet him while they play their video games. They don't take him for as much walkies as he'd like. They don't even ask him who's a good boy. Well, it's certainly not him. Because one day, Doggo Danny DeVito sticks his nose in the same sock that the old NES is plugged into, and it, it, uh, it gives him powers for some reason. He's able to transport them all into the virtual world they seem to care more about than him. To wreak his vengeance, he tosses Margot Robbie into another game, leaving Idris Elba alone with nothing but a light gun and its broad, powerful shoulders and masculine chisel jaw and succulent stubble to fend off the ducks from Duck Hunt. <laughs> yeah, the plot's cuckoo. <laughs> Boy humor. But when do we ever put out films with coherent plots? <laughs> And don't worry, we'll give Margot Robbie some strong female things to do. We, we don't want no false flag feminism. This ain't no Joss Whedon movie. <laughs> so that's why, when all seems lost, plasma bolts start raining at them ducks. Then the final duck is dispatched with a screw attack. And who is standing on that field but Samus Aran from Metroid? She takes off the helmet to reveal, ha, ah, she's Sam. Margot Robbie is so badass that she comes back as a space bounty hunter to save the man she loves. Just before she can show him a different kind of screw attack, the dog waddles over, and they all reconcile as we cut the credits. Executive producer Roy Shields. My mother weeps tears of joy as opposed to the usual tears of disappointment. But if you thought that was enough, in a mid-credit sequence, Luigi, played by Christopher Walken, shows up to inform them about the Super Smash Bros. initiative. Post-post-credits, it's revealed that the fight isn't over yet. The cartoon carnage of the duck hunt is surveyed by some very angry boys. <laughs> so, in the sequel, you get the satisfaction of seeing the angry birds get blown up like a Tarantino money shot, 
and we get the extended cinematic universe thing, and the heroes fight each other for some lazily contrived reason thing in one foul swoop. Yeah. More <laughs> humor. Now, I know what you're thinking. Isn't this the guy who always mandated his hotel rooms be filled with mini furniture so he could smash it all pretending he was a giant? <laughs> the only thing giant here is gonna be the profits. You're gonna be able to Scrooge McDuck into that though. Who we can include in future sequels if we can strike an accord with the Disney Empire. I promise to stop sending dick pics if you let me make this duck pic. <laughs> Oregon Trail is the Odyssey 
as I lay dying on the road, Thelma and Louise, Little Miss Sunshine, and Two Wong Fu, thanks for everything you really knew, are all rolled into one. It's a spaghetti western pastiche, it's a domestic family drama, and it's a road movie. It's a classic story of triumph over adversity, and a classically American backdrop. Who wouldn't want to watch that?
Roy, Roy was quick to bring up that uh, boy humor is going to be the major thrux of, uh, of the movie. Uh, so how will you make the Oregon Trail accessible, uh, not just for uh, boys, but also girls looking for strong female roles? Oh, well, I'm, I'm just going to, well, first to really get the boy demographic, or to really just get kind of the most basic human kind of be gore. Just like, <laughs> <laughs> the like blood shit water just pouring out of people's rectums. That's kind of Hollywood is in real danger. 
You look at me and you think I'm chicken little. And while I was arrested for running down Rodeo Drive screaming, the sky is falling, the sky is falling, I was later informed by the authorities that only my pants were falling. And just like that busted Vietnamese tourist who had to listen to me, you have to listen to me. See, Hollywood's current business model can't sustain itself for long. A steaming pile of back guano like Donna Justice costs more than the GDP of some developing nations. If all we're making is temporal franchises based on existing properties and sequels to those sequels and sequels to those sequels, each costing more than the gross domestic product of Mauritius, we gotta gobble up as much as we can before the bottom falls out. We're emperors in the last days of Rome, baby, and we gotta exploit this shit. You gotta milk this cow and call me the farmer's daughter. I got all kinds of ideas for more Nintendo franchises, believe me. Picture this. Super Mario Brothers with Daniel Day-Lewis as Mario. <laughs> you give our Italian-Japanese plumber some gravitas, but primarily so you can imagine three-time Academy Award-winning actor Daniel Day-Lewis method acting, jumping around in real life, going, Scarjo is Princess Peach. Wesley Snipes is Bowser. Then we were all on Legend of Zelda with Zac Efron. And here we lost some audio. You know how it is. Technology. It's, it's just, it never works. Okay, we're back. Expand the universe. I even got an idea, if we're talking about grit and, and over-realistic violence, for a gritty reboot of Animal Crossing. You know, that, that capitalism is cute simulator? Now, if you don't visit your town, it falls into disrepair. So this movie's about going the original 2001 save data and finding your home of Asheville, a dystopian wasteland. And all you find is like weeds and bombed out little cottages, and then you see like Tom Nook eating what remains of Rover, and he looks up at you and says, Survival of the fittest, yes? <laughs> it all begins with Duck Hunt. So you folks have got to listen to me, and you gotta fast track Duck Hunt into production. Sure, I'm deranged and deluded and frankly dangerous, but you people never let that come between you and the oodles of cash you can make. Hell, you're the same bastards who keep hiring Johnny Depp! <laughs> so clearly, you haven't put down the taser yet, so you're still undecided. Before I climb down the rope, I use the grappling hook onto your balcony. I just want you to think of the inevitable porn parody. Fuck! <laughs> Good night, I'm not going to jail again! No consequences for its carnage. There's zero stakes. If you miss, the worst thing that can happen is that your dog laughs at you. Even <laughs> the game's sole mechanic, hunting is outclassed by the hunting in Oregon Trail. We got bears, ducks, well no, we don't have ducks, we have bunnies, deer, bison, far more fearsome. In Oregon Trail, hunting is a matter of life and death. And in Duck Hunt, it's exclusively about impressing your dog. <laughs> the Oregon Trail was the pinnacle of late 80s digital storytelling. It made learning about dysentery and 19th century budgeting interesting. The story and outcome of the game was a little bit different every single time you played it. That alone gives it the potential to be a narrative-shattering cinematic masterpiece. It would legitimately make a fantastic film. And that's despite the fact that there has never in the history of cinema been a good video game-inspired movie. Think about Hollywood's previous attempts. 
corporate orgy clusterfucks like Angry Birds, Battleship, Super Mario Brothers, and Final Fantasy, The Spirits Within. <laughs> um, unlike those bloated, narratively impoverished cash grabs, the Oregon Trail lends itself to the silver screen quite naturally. It progresses in a straightforward, visually compelling manner that any audience would love. Imagine a widescreen pan over the Blue Mountains at dawn. Picture like Steve Carell, Paul Dano, and Abigail Breslin sitting in the back of a dusty Conestoga wagon wearing hoop skirts. <laughs> Pretend the dialogue is written by Quentin Tarantino with a triumphant musical score, as I already said, by Ennio Morricone. See Paul Dano collapsing just outside of Oregon City with a snake bite that froths his blood into a gelatinous solid. <laughs> and remember that deep down, Oregon Trail is really about a bunch of trashy white imperialists dying. Yeah, which is pretty tight. Uh, nearly every character drops dead of illness, their bodies spurting out streams of hot, cholera-infected poop water. This film could be a pioneer bloodbath on par with Hateful Eight. And as a self-hating white person, I'm really into that. The, the potential of this film is unparalleled in a video game movie. It's expansive, sweeping, and widespread in its appeal. With the right cast and crew, it could be a new American classic. We all happily gathered around the Macintosh to play Oregon Trail over and over again as children. We were wrapped in life and death dilemmas, like whether to ford the river or cut the rations. We felt the stakes even then, when the world was 8-bit. It's time we return to that place of imagination and immersion, gathered together before a much larger image um, on a much lusher screen.
I've been joined on this stage tonight by many people I admire and respect. Ian, Ian, Erica, Tom, <laughs> Lana, and Mike. And like them, I took no joy in paying attention to the news this month. I spent most of the month of May, like Hillary Clinton watching Bernie Sanders' campaign, wishing it would just end. <laughs> this is the eighth iteration of the skewer, but I feel that instead of counting up, we should start counting backwards. Maybe then, you know, after a half decade or so of shows, it'll make sense why we're talking about how, after 60 years, the United States Supreme Court finally settled on a case to desegregate a school district in Mississippi. This is true. Or how, tragically, according to the BBC, 32 people have been kidnapped by pirates this year. More than double the figure from last year. We have an epidemic of pirates, people. I feel like the more I know about this world, the less I actually understand. So yeah, a fountain of youth out there somewhere does seem plausible. And that maybe the life of pillaging and plundering off the Somalian coast really does offer that hearty benefits package I've been hoping for. <laughs> It seems as if I've had to draw a firm line recently about the things I want and do not want. Cases in point, I do not want Space Jam 2 and the rebottling of Budweiser beer as America. Yeah! The name of the is meant to, and I quote, inspire drinkers to celebrate America and Budweiser's shared values of freedom and authenticity. This was announced five days after the Donald Trump was pictured eating a taco bowl with the caption, the best taco bowls are made in Trump Tower Grill. I love Hispanics! Apparently, we are going all in with representing cultures by food and beverages. Happy Memorial Day! I call first dibs on mashed potatoes. May has been quite a reflective month for me as I prepare to say goodbye to Chicago in June. I remember first coming to Chicago in 2008 to attend DePaul University, the type of campus that Game of Thrones uses as source material. <laughs> DePaul has been affected lately by escalating racial tension with hateful messages talked into the sidewalk, small ropes made to look like nooses hung around campus, and the College Republicans' invitation of Milo Yiannopoulos to speak. In case you are not familiar, Mr. Yiannopoulos' latest jaunt across the United States is called the Dangerous Faggot Tour. He is a proponent of hate speech and World Patriarchy Day. Whatever that is, don't look it up. And I don't mean to draw crude connections, but he did speak at UCLA last night. DePaul knew what they were getting when Milo came to speak, but I am looking forward to the next alumni newsletter. After I graduated from DePaul in 2012, I went and taught high school in the Detroit Public School District at Medicine and Community Health Academy. May 2nd also happens to be Teacher Appreciation Day. Now, if you're wondering why I'm here and not there, this year, the Detroit Public School District rewarded their employees by telling them that they couldn't pay them for hours they've already worked. Teachers are more likely to make a better living writing for the skewer than actually teaching high school. Uh, so teachers called in sick and hit the streets to protest. Teacher protests are a lot like normal protests, except only one person is allowed to speak at a time, and only if they raise their hand. <laughs> this is the second of such events this year, as teachers walked out in January for the poor conditions of the schools, where pieces of the ceiling would break and fall into students' heads, among many other things. But hey, Chipotle gave out free burrito bowls for educators, so akuna matata. <laughs> so now here I am, going over all my biggest decisions to date. Did I choose the right career path? Am I the person that my parents hoped I'd be? 
Is it too late to have a gap year like Malia Obama? I don't know. Why did Hamilton only receive 16 Tony nominations? I don't know! <laughs> These are only a few things that I do know, provided to you by me, by the people who choose what news I receive on Facebook. Thank you very much. Uh, the next viewer is July 6th, same time, same place. Writers, stick around to get your bounty. Uh, peace! Thank you for listening to the Skewer Podcast. If you liked what you heard, you can come to a live show. Uh, again, the first Wednesday of every month. And the next one's going to be uh, July 6th, 8 p.m., Cafe Mustache. These shows are always a lot of fun. Please please do come down if you're in Chicago and can. Uh, if you just want to listen to the podcast, you, su- you can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, everywhere a podcast might be. Um, and while you're there, why not get why not give us a review? You know, it helps us helps us improve, makes us feel like we're doing something you like. Uh, and if you want to get in touch with us, our email is skewerchicago at gmail dot com. Um, also, me and Eric do a uh, pop culture podcast called You Don't Understand, uh, where we share our beloved cultural artifacts, movies, and music uh, with people who have never seen them before. See what they think about it. You can find that also the same place as you would find a podcast. Uh, Thanks again for listening. Hope you had a good time. I'll see you next month.